You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, we are back. This is the first episode of Tripe Supper, the rebranded Millsborough FC podcast from Gazette, Borough and Teesside Live. Coming up in this episode, Craig Johns and Dom Shaw talk about Neil Warnock extending his stay at the Riverside, his anger down at Swansea with some dubious refereeing and why Saturday against Stoke is a must-win game. We also hear from former Borough striker Malcolm Christie. Hope you enjoy this one. We're glad to be back. Tune in and please remember to like and subscribe. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Tribe Supper since we've rebranded your go-to Middlesbrough FC podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Musgrove. And if you follow Borough home and away, you'll know the two gents that I'm joined by, Dom Shaw and Craig Johns. Guys, how are we doing? I'm very well, thanks. I'm uh, I'm excited to finally get going with this uh, this new podcast, and uh, I'm sure that'll wear off once we get a couple of uh, oh god, listen to that Macam comments. But uh, but for now, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm flying the Teesside flag. Here. I'm gonna I'm gonna make my Teesside accent even stronger every week. <laughs> it does sound I'd like lo- a I'd love to say, I'd love to say, say that fans, it, have, fans have been eagerly waiting for it. We've had a couple of questions in the last year asking where tripe is. So to those who've asked, thank you. Finally, back. It sounds like a bad pub joke, doesn't it? You know, a Geordie, a Macam, and a bar lad walk into a bar, and someone else can finish the punchline. Me and Don were talking before. We we're saying it's like the three legends, just without the legends, <laughs> without Speak the football ability. Yeah, <laughs> our knowledge. People would see our knowledge as well. Setting the bar low. That's the way to go. <laughs> I mean, in terms of a week to relaunch the podcast, I'm not really sure we could have picked a better few days um, to talk about because there's been a lot going on. You know, Warnock went viral with his reaction after the Swansea game, and of course we'll talk about that. But the big news is is that he's extended his stay to the end of 2021-22. Was that, Craig, ever in doubt? And how did that come about? Um, I think definitely in doubt. I think just because he's, you know, he's at an age now where he's seventy-two year old, and we always knew, or we did know, he's, he's, you know, coming towards the end of his career, whether that was the end of this season or we now know the end of next season. Um, so there was always a bit of woolly steer, warranty steer. Um, but I think there was little hints in the last few weeks um, that he, he was kind of leaning towards that he was going to steer those things like talking about scouting ahead of the summer and I think you know kind of me and Dom had spoken privately uh, previously about um, feeling that because Borough probably won't without being negative but probably won't manage promotion this season that probably made him more likely to steer because he you know we all know what Neil Warnock's like and see even at 72 he's still so passionate about it and he he loves winning he loves football so i think the fact that borough probably will miss out on promotion actually made it more likely that he wanted to steer because he, he is so eager to kind of go out on this one last promotion and and i think he looks at what what he's got at middlesbrough he's quite excited he keeps talking about this this uh core this you know nucleus that he's got at middlesbrough that he's building and uh and yeah i think that he's uh he's excited and um and yeah, I think it's good that he wants to steer. Um, I can understand why he has definitely. I, I think I'm, I look at it, and I think it, Warnock wouldn't have been able to forgive himself if he'd walked away from from this job because a it's a job he's wanted um, for so so long that he's talked about wanting for so so long. He's talked about wanting to work for Steve Gibson, um, and it, he knows, as he said to me and Craig. On, on numerous occasions that they're not a million miles away. He knows he knows where his squad shot. He, you know, he hasn't got the centre forward he wants. He's lacking a leader. He's probably lacking depth in certain areas. But he, he knows he's he's not he's not a million miles away. Um 
if he'd, if he'd have walked away from that, having come, you know, we don't know how it's going to finish. They might, you know, we might well see for a launch, a, a Barnsley style charge and, and sneak in. But if they don't, it looks like they're going to fall just short. Um, and and you think the likes of Anthony Dykesdale and Mark Baller, who've made massive uh, improvements this year, they, they can only get better. The players know exactly what um, Warner wants from them. He's going to bring in a few more players and put his touch on them and put his touch on the squad. And I don't think you can you can forget that um like last summer he had you know it was what a matter of weeks between seasons. There was there was no chance for 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 him to it wasn't it wasn't an orthodox pre-season. We know there was chance for him to get him down to Cornwall for the famous uh, Warnock barbecue, but other than that, it was so rushed and um and, and squeezed that I think I think he and the whole side and squad will, will benefit from a full summer of preparation. Not just that as well. Remember, because of the way this season has been, he's never managed a game with Middlesbrough fans in the Riverside. And you know, when he when he was speaking about why he decided to stay, he said that was a big factor. You know, Steve Gibson kept saying to him, um, you know, you've got to experience the Riverside full. You've got to experience the Middlesbrough fans getting behind you to truly experience this job. And I think with a packed out Riverside really getting behind this team, I think Middlesbrough you know, stand a really good chance next season as well. But on the flip side then, when this meeting was arranged between Steve Gibson and Neil Warnock, what do you think Gibson had in his mind? Do you think he sees it, as you've said there, Craig, that it probably will be Warnock's last season? And if that is the case, is there someone that they're maybe mentoring in the background or someone they've got their eye on? I mean, how does the transition go from where they're at now to the end of next season it's an interesting one i know it's one that kind of you know a lot of people have spoken about in terms of in the warnock should he stay should he go debate is kind of this more long-term thinking and you know maybe because of warnock's age there was one or two maybe saying should middlesbrough maybe look elsewhere and, and look for for something more long term but i think i think now football in particular is a sport where with management there isn't much long-term anyway. You know, you can bring someone in and give them a three-year, four-year, five-year contract. But if results aren't going well, they're not going to last 12 months even. That's in any job, at any club. That's just the way football management is now. And, um, you know, I think ultimately in, in with Neil Warnock, Middlesbrough have got a good thing. It's working well. The players love coming to work under Neil Warnock. Um, I think once the fans are in the stadium, they're going to love you know, he gets a lot of criticism for not necessarily playing the most attractive brand of football, but we've seen this season the improvements the teams have made. And I think with a, a good summer transfer window, getting in the players that he wants, that he knows he needs, that will make Middlesbrough an even better team. I think fans are going to be enjoy it as, as he classed it, coming on the ride with Middlesbrough next season. And I think it will be a really exciting ride to be on. Um, and so I think you almost think about you know, the season after later on, there doesn't have to be any kind of, you know, kind of progression or any kind of looking, you know, too far ahead. Let's just enjoy next season and see where we are towards the end of next season before we start thinking about who comes in next. I, I, I think I think there'll be an element of, of that thinking from Warnock in that he's, he's said a few times that he's in the he's in the unique position of not really being bothered about the sack. Um because I guess he sees this as kind of an added bonus. I know we joke about the retirement and how there was a fella on from Sky Sports last week saying that he told Warnock had told him in 2003 he was retiring at the end of that season. Um, but but I genuinely believe that after Cardiff, Warnock s- s- thought that might be it. And he, he spoke last week um, about how, for all you know, we jo- he jokes about uh, not not being able to. Um, Puff the pillows right at home and being rubbish with the cleaning and the and the other bits and bobs and getting under Sharon's feet. We he he says that um, after a while when the phone stops ringing, there's that fear and you know what it's like. You know we all like to be loved, don't we? I would well imagine if he's if he's had this drug in his life for 40, 50 years, it's all he's known and and he's got success. And suddenly when you start thinking, hold on, I'm not wanted anymore. Um, that's why I think he was never going to be able to turn down Borough, never going to be able to leave in the summer. But I do think he will kind of accept that this is probably going to be his last job. And he's talked a lot about um, uh, his relationship with, with the chairman and how 
Um, he is looking at things behind the scenes and passing on his advice. So you do wonder. I mean, he left Cardiff on very good terms. I, I might be completely wrong with this because you never know what's going to happen. But sitting here now, I would predict that when Warnock does come to leave Borough, it'll be on mutual good terms. Um, and you might well, he might well have, have passed it on his his uh, recommendations. He might well have someone in mind. Um, but for a succession plan afterwards. Is it a case that when they had that conversation, though, that it was happening and the inevitable outcome was that he was going to extend his stay? There was really no question about it. Or did one party or the other party have to be persuaded? Or was the feeling, Craig, that they were having this meeting, they were going to sit down or however it was, over Zoom or whatever, and um, it was always going to be agreed he was going to extend till the end of next season? I think a bit of both, to be honest. I think by the sounds of it, uh, reading between the lines, Warnock had pretty much made his mind up that he did want to stay next season. Um, he'd kind of had those discussions with with his family, with Sharon and, and the kids, um, and kind of decided that he he did want another season because, as as we've previously said, you know he's he is excited about what he's building at Middlesbrough, and there is a lot of good young players. You know, Don's mentioned Bowler and Dykesdale, and there's Tavernier, there's there's players like that who you know. Uh, are very good now and only going to get better, you would presume, because of the age that they're at. So I think, as he's mentioned himself, there's only a little bit of fine-tuning that needs to go into this Middlesbrough squad in the summer. And there is definitely a promotion win inside there, I think. And um, so I think Neil, Neil Warnock himself was, was definitely leaning towards wanting to steer. Having said that, I think the fact that he is steering is also a reason to be excited and the fact that it was announced he's staying so close after this meeting with Steve Gibson, you know, the, the, he tried to play it down, but I think there had to have been some element of of Steve promising that the would support him in the best way possible in the summer window. You know, we we know that it's been a difficult year financially. You know, by all accounts, the club are losing uh, two million. Uh, a month on revenue from from no crowds coming into the stadium, which is a massive loss. And you know, Steve Gibson's having to kind of make up for that himself. And you know, that's huge. But you will hope now with fans set to come back next season, season ticket money will be coming in and things like that. And you would hope that Steve Gibson has said something to Warnock. We know he wants at least one striker. And and that's going to be huge, you know, definitely at least one striker, a goal scorer they're going to need. They aren't cheap. They aren't easy to get now. Um, I would have to presume that Warnock is staying on the basis that there is some kind of promises there. Just to break in, it's it's chaos in the Shaw household here because my girlfriend's just gone out with a little one and I, I, I locked the door uh, subconsciously as as I waved her off goodbye. I can, I can hear she's just pulled up and she's hammering on the door instead of just getting the keys out. So I'm wondering how long it's going to take for her to realise I'm not all done. Yeah, she's just coming. <laughs> I thought it was going to be one of them where in 30 seconds I had to scamper down and uh, and open up, but uh, well, she won't she won't listen to this. So it's... Well, I was going to mention that because I think you can hear Craig's little one in the background. I'm sitting next to a main road because the main road below me has been blocked off by roadworks and it is rush hour. So we've got all the sound effects going on here, but nothing <laughs> if professional, lads. <laughs> we fair, I'm glad. I'm glad we arranged to do the podcast this time because we 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 said we we'll get started at half two, and at twenty five past two she came up and said I think he's pooed, and I said well I, I can't do it. We've got a we've got a podcast in a few minutes, so I'm uh, I'm not taking this one. You got out of that. That is good. Yeah, yeah that is good timing. That. Suppose Look at this. We're the first episode. First episode into the rebrands, and we've already got a an offshoot series of parent tips by Craig and Dom. <laughs> winner there um, while we're on a, a side subject if you guys can please like and subscribe to the podcast from wherever you get it from and leave us a star rating and review as well just means it'll get into more people's ears on Warnock Dom I'm just wondering we mentioned they're extending the stay to the end of next season and then it probably will be it but you've also mentioned he's got this addiction to the game he's very excitable and if they go up Let's just, for instance, say they miss out this season, but they get it next season and they go up. Do you really think he's going to be able to walk away with Middlesbrough in the Premier League? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because he's, um, I, I do think Warnock's got unfinished business in the Premier League. We, you know, 
we, 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 you have to, you only have to mention the names of Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascarano, and and you know, obviously um, send Warnock into cold sweats. Cardiff last year, or sorry, the year before last, were were very close. Um, so I, I think I think it's probably he, he probably deserves a better record in the Premier League than he's got. Um, now he's made no secret of the fact that the Championship's his league. Um, he loves he loves the championship. He, I, th- I think he enjoys the kind of honesty, I guess, of of the thrust of the of the championship. Whereas when you go up in the Premier League, you're dealing with more egos. And there's that great there's the great clip you'll have probably seen it doing the rounds of when he's on um, Soccer Saturday when he was in between jobs and he was talking about when he was Cardiff manager and Man City made three changes. Uh, oh no, there was a goal. Man City scored and. And he said, I'm stood there on the sidelines thinking, bloody hell, that was a good goal, that, wasn't it? So, um, you know, but that said, as you say, if, if the goal, he's got two options then. Does he go out on the ultimate high of yet another promotion? Or then does he think, well, hold on, like, we know he loves proving people wrong. If We know how difficult it is for teams that are going up to stay up. So if you come back down and you do what Norwich have done this year, for example, and, and plan... For, for a possible relegation and then come back stronger. Um, you're almost in a kind of a no-lose situation. If you keep them up, then suddenly there's a real there's a real lasting legacy. So I had the same conversation with the lads from BBC Tees last week. Um, he was asked, wasn't he, Craig, last week, what are we going to be having this same conversation a year down the line? And he kind of said, oh, my God, don't even go there. Well, you, you know for a fact we will be. Um, I absolutely don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that he's still here the following season, especially if they go up. I think if they don't go up, then they might, well, again, you know, if you're losing a playoff final, then can you walk away on that? Obviously, it depends on the circumstances. But if they go up, I, I think it's difficult to, to, to walk away having just led a team of promotion. I think um, we also can't ignore the fact that, above all else, as much as Neil Warnock loves football, Family comes before football for Neil Warnock. He, he alludes to that quite often, doesn't he? And, um, you know, I mean, he's 72 now. At the end of next season, he'll be 73, about to turn 74. So looking that far ahead, um, he said himself, it's no disrespect to say that to him, that, you know, we don't know what kind of health he'll be in at that point. Uh, his wife, Sharon, uh, has had illnesses in the past and we don't know, you know, what could happen. I mean, it always sticks in my mind, it's no secret, I'm a Manchester United fan, that Manchester United uh, under Alex Ferguson, uh, he wasn't kind of planning retirement when he did retire and 12 months before he did, they actually signed Robin Van Persie and, and Ferguson did that on the promise to Van Persie that he wasn't going to be retiring anytime soon. And I remember when Ferguson retired, he had to actually apologise to Van Persie because he, he decided he was going to retire. And, and that was to do with um, with Kathy's wife. Her sister had passed away in in, in between his, in, in, during the last season that he had at Manchester United. And, and that kind of made Salix, you know, question, am I going on too long? I'm not going to have any retirement. I'm not going to have time to spend with my family. And I think these kind of factors, particularly when you get the Neil's age, do come into it. You know what I mean? There's, he's made no secret of the fact that had it not been for COVID, he wouldn't. He probably wouldn't have come at Middlesbrough because he had the place in Italy. Is it Maggiore? I think they've got the place in Italy. He and Sharon, and the plan was after Cardiff to kind of be going backwards and forwards to there and spending time in Italy and enjoying retirement. And obviously, you know, COVID put stops on that. They couldn't obviously travel out there. So, you know, I think right now it's it's kind of it's a bit too early to look ahead and, uh, beyond next season because we just don't know you know, where the land will lie then in terms of what really matters to, to Warnock, which is his family. Well, we'll get on to this season. That's what we're going to focus on because the Swansea game was very lively. Before we do that, I guess, Craig, this is still a relatively new gig for yourself and people listening. It's probably the first time they've heard your delicate tones, really, other than maybe a few videos on the website. Would you like to maybe just introduce yourself? I mean, they should know Dom, unfortunately, but this is your platform, Craig. Oh, you've uh, you, you've put the uh, thing on as I wasn't expecting that, but yeah, um, I do apologise about those uh, horrible Macam dulcet tones that you'll be hearing. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd hope that um, you know over the course of however long it's been now, I think I joined the Gazette. 
uh, on just on the brink of the the new season in September. And uh, I'd like to think that, despite being from Sunderland, as I mentioned not long ago, I am a Manchester United fan. So I'd like to hope that uh, in in if people have read. Uh, anything and and have been kind of you know following us on on social media or anything interacting that you know they know by now that actually um you know I'm, there's no bias there or anything like that i'm i'm absolutely loving uh this gig and i i completely you know know how much of an honor if you like it is you know we've got the the advantage of going to games when fans can't go to games and you know it's it's not lost on me how kind of lucky we are to be doing that and um and it also wasn't lost on me at all. You know, when I first came into the job, I was coming into the job as the Gazette were losing two really, really good quality and long-serving journalists who'd covered this football club for, for many, many years. So, um, you know, it was it was never easy to kind of come in at that point. But I, I just hope that, uh, you know, people know that you know i'm giving me all of this and and it's, ver- it's very hard not to catch the bug. I mean, you know, you kind of at times in the press box, find yourself forgetting where you are. Um, I can't remember what game it was now, but uh, it was it was a couple of weeks ago at the Riverside and there was a foul given against um, against Middlesbrough and just out of nowhere, and I don't know where it came from. I felt like I was a teenager again and uh, my voice was breaking, but it was, this foul was given and all of a sudden I just found myself, well, what? And then I was like, oh, I did it really loud. And then I was like, oh God, I did that out loud. I can't believe I did that. You just catch the bug and you can't help it. You know, you're watching this team week in, week out. It's impossible not to want that team to be successful. So um, I do hope that comes across and I hope... Uh, Hope me, Mac accent isn't too bad and too intolerable for people. That that reaction that reaction to referees is what happens when you're on press conferences with Neil Warnock twice a week. <laughs> you I mean, never know what he's going to say next. Absolutely, perfectly on the Swansea. It's as though we've rehearsed this before. And it's a perfect segue, isn't it? I mean, the Swansea game. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I didn't watch it. I saw the the post game interview, and goodness me, you know the. I, I it was just amazing. I couldn't take my eyes off. He was just he was furious and uh what was it? I was watching um I think we might have been on match the day or was it and it was Ali McCoist during the Newcastle game against West Brom and he, he was speaking about how much managers, you know, fight for the club and it was it was based around what Warnock did after that Swansea game and how absolutely furious he was at the referee. But he had a point, didn't he, Dom? Yeah, it was. Um, me and Craig were saying afterwards, it was it was an interesting one, really. In that, I, I was I was at the game, and um, I'd kind of the, the way they'd done the press conference is, it was in the um, concourse down below the ground, so down below the the seats, just below the stand. So I'd gone down, and obviously you see on Twitter and the likes that Warnock has has gone to town in his in his TV interview. Um, so, so when he came down in, it had been a little while, probably 25 minutes or so. By the time he'd come down to do the written press, you expect him to be, you know, full, full-blown Warnock post-match. Um, but he, he definitely calmed down a little bit. And it was it was by no means as as seething as he was in that initial interview. And then I subsequently listened to the BBC T's interview, which he did after the written, and, and he'd he'd settled again. Um, but you can completely I mean, there's been times this season, um, you know, Craig, it's not there's so many examples where he's come in and he's had a little niggle about referees. But, you know, although, although he hasn't been happy with the decision, there's been those classic diversion techniques of taking the glare away from his players after a defeat or a draw or whatever, or a performance that hasn't been as, as good as what you'd hope for. Um, but it was sadly that was the story on Saturday because um, the the. The ball of disallowed goal wasn't like a controversial device. It was that was just the wrong decision. End of. You know, there's no other way to interpret the lassie got the ball and, and didn't foul. Um, and and this, the Savile one was an interesting one because, um, as as Craig will know, it's difficult this year and it's pretty inconsistent as to whether you get replays or not at the ground. Um, and we weren't getting replays at Swansea, so. Obviously, it was impossible to tell from one angle. It's one of those where when you look back from a dozen angles, you're still not sure of whether it's a, a penalty or not. Um, but wasn't sure about it at the time. But 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 I saw him signal for a corner. And then obviously, three or four seconds later, he gives the penalty. Um, and I think, well, the, the linesman's obviously 
obviously given had a word in his ear and given the penalty. But Warnock to say afterwards that he'd, he'd sat down with the referee, with Gavin Ward, and Ward had actually just said that actually I gave the corner, but then thought about it and gave the penalty. Like that's strange. I think that that kind of made me think. Eh. Uh, and then there's a few other. Um, uh, the Dykesteel thing, which kind of that rubs salt into the wounds this week. Dykesteel's out for the season. And I didn't see the off-the-ball incident, but Warnock did, and he was absolutely seething about it. Uh, Dykesteel tried to play on. Five minutes later, went down again, and we now know that he's got ankle damage and he's out for the season. Um, and, you know, we know, we said afterwards, if Borough don't make the top six this season, it won't be because of championship refereeing. But the decisions against Swansea and the Dale Fry incident against Blackburn, that that's at least four points. Um, and then that's the difference between being potentially three results behind Barnsley or Cardiff or one result behind Barnsley or Cardiff. I know these things even themselves out, as they say, um, to, to roll out the cliche. But I can I can completely understand um, Warnock's frustrations there. And that that was probably, well, that was definitely the, the worst of the bunch that at the weekend. It was... Um, yeah, as, as we were saying, the referee was the story, really, which is never a good thing. Craig, I mean, has there been any reaction from the FA? Because I think Warnock did say during this press conference, which went viral, that he was going to get fined or he was expecting some sort of punishment for his comments. He, he knows what's coming, but I don't think the FA have, re- have responded yet, have they? Um, not yet. I think there was a story in the Sun earlier in the week, or perhaps at the weekend, wasn't there, saying that the Sun, uh, saying that the FA were investigating the comments. Um, certainly nothing yet official from the FA or either way but you know sometimes they do take the time over these things like they say they'll investigate it and, and behind the scenes they'll be you know if there were to do anything about it there would be you know kind of speaking privately maybe sending things to Middlesbrough and Neil Warnock and, and they'd have to send it back evidence etc before anything was made public if he were to be charged but uh you know, who knows whether he will or not. I think uh, Warnock was, was trying his best to avoid seeing something that would get him into trouble, but uh, understandably so close to uh, um, the the end of the match. Uh, he, he struggled, and uh, it's it's not a surprise, to be honest, because, uh, you know, Dick Turpin wouldn't have been out of place at Swansea on, uh, on Saturday, and Middlesbrough were robbed of three, uh, well, at least... Uh, one point, uh, two points, sorry. Um, you know, they should have at least left Swansea with a point, if not all three, because uh, for me, that, that ball that disallowed goal, there's no foul, as Dom said, it's not even questionable. That was a goal. It was a good goal, a perfectly fine goal, nothing wrong with that. It should have stood. And at that point in the game, you're back to 1-1 at the start of the second half. Who knows where the game goes from there, but what I do know is that for pretty much 90 minutes, Middlesbrough were the better team in that game. And with all momentum in that favour, getting the goal back and levelling the game up, it would look more favourable for Middlesbrough to go on and win that game from there. Um, you know, I mean, I, there's been a lot of reaction on Twitter about the penalty. Uh, anybody who follows me will know that I actually do think that, wording this carefully, it was the right outcome. As Dom's alluded to, the decision the way the decision was came to from Gavin Ward, the fact that he changed his mind and said that he didn't change his mind because there was any word from the linesman, he just changed his own mind. That to me is questionable. As he guessed, is he being influenced by the Swansea players? I, I don't know, uh, obviously hard to second guess his thoughts, but it's questionable how, he, how or why he changed his mind. But the outcome I feel that it was a penalty was, was the right one. And, and it's one of them where it is really 50-50. I can understand the other side of it. People saying Saville got the ball first. To me, Bidwell was running in to hit that ball. It was coming into him. Saville kind of comes in, slides. And to me, for Saville to get away with the way he slid in there, he needs to touch the ball away from Bidwell. He doesn't. And to me, the contact between defender and attacker happens before contact with the ball happens. And that's why I think advantage goes to the attacker Savile's almost obstructed Bidwell's shot, if you like, and uh, and kind of Bidwell has then, because Savile's legs come across him, has kicked Savile's leg into the ball. But you can see with the way where the ball goes for me, the direction of the ball after the contact suggests that Bidwell has also got a lot of contact on the ball. Um, 
Yeah, it's one of them where because Savile does get his leg in there, it is quite 50-50 and you can understand the other side that might see as Savile gets there first. But for me, Savile needs to to kick that ball away from Bidwell, essentially. You know, like the, the way that Savile's foot is facing is the way the ball needs to go. But he's almost arrived too early, in my opinion, and therefore the ball's kind of, it's almost hit him further up on the calf rather than in his foot. Um, and that's why, but as I say, it's it's one of them, it's 50-50. But for me, the big one is the disallowed goal. And, and that has clearly, you know, it's it was a terrible decision. And who knows where the game goes from there. Middlesbrough were robbed on Saturday. How important is the injury to Dykstra? I mean, you've mentioned it there briefly, Dom, what happened. But how important going into these final few weeks of the season is that injury? It, it's it's a it's a blow. Uh, it's it's not one which will completely um, force Warnock into a complete rethink. In that he's got Grant Hall now, who's who's played really well since he's came back. He's kind of been one of the surprises of the second half of the season so far. In that, I mean, no one had written him off because we hadn't seen enough of him. But um, with with McNair and Fry playing so well and Dyke Steele playing well at right back or moving into a back three, you did wonder how Hall was going to get a kick really. Um, he's been excellent. So if, if you're playing a back three, you've got Hall, McNair and Fry. If you're playing a back two, you've got two of them. Um, at right back, he brought in Darnell Fisher, who I think has been unlucky. I can see why he hasn't been playing. But he certainly did nothing wrong in the games that he was playing. I think he's been unlucky to lose his place of late. So him and Jed Spence will, will jostle for the role at right back or right wing back. I think the real problem will be if you were to get another injury or suspension, because suddenly now, with Nathan Wood out on loan at Crew, um, there's no cover there. And Warnock has talked about how he has to be careful with um, Hall because he obviously played uh, the, the games coming thick and fast and he missed four months of the season. Um, so come this, this weekend, he's fine after a full week off. But when you've got a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday week, that, that's a big ask for, for Hall. Um, but on a personal level for Dyke Steele, I'm good for him because it's been such a good season. Uh, you know, no secret that he struggled in his first half of the season at Borough. And I, I remember being at Reading last year when Borough got that massive win to help them stay up. And and when Dyke Steele started, it was kind of like, you know, taken aback really that he was in the team. He was brilliant that night. He's never looked back. He's really, really kicked on. You know, him and Bowler most improved under Warnock. Um and we can see why why Woodgate and the club were so keen on signing like Steel and Bowler now. Um, so so it's really disappointing for him. But I think as well, you know, I guess it takes the pressure off him slightly in that he, he hasn't got a date that he's trying to rush back for unless Borough make the playoffs. Um, you know, get get recovered, come back stronger, and make sure you're fully fit for next season. And, and we're not we're not having to rush him back. Just a final question then. Craig on, on the Swansea game. To lose that game, you know, they're now what seven points off the off the playoffs. I mean, how important was that game in terms of, you know, what their final outcome this season might be? Yeah, I think it, it could prove crucial. I mean, the one thing we can see about this Middlesbrough side this season is they never see a die. They didn't give up. So, you know, the, there's one thing is while it's still mathematically possible this Middlesbrough team will go all out to make it a possibility that they still do get playoffs this season. But looking at it realistically, well, they're ninth in the table now. And so there's um, between themselves and six, there's three sides. Barnsley six. Um, they play, we as we record now on Wednesday, I'm not sure when we're putting this out, but as we record on Wednesday, Barnsley play tonight. They play Derby, don't they? Which would be their game in the hand. So, you know, potentially by the time Middlesbrough next kick the ball, there could be 10 points behind Barnsley um, in, in sixth spot. And, and, and you look at that and you think that is with the games left, 11 games is it left, that's that's a big, big mountain to climb and a lot of points to claw back. It, it does look like it's, you know, more likely that they'll will miss out this season now, uh, which is a real shame because, you know, I think had they have, as we mentioned, you know, taken even a point at Swansea, but certainly could, they could have gone on and taken all three, that could be looking very different now. And I think the one thing that I keep looking at is Middlesbrough's last four games. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head who they are, but the, the four games, I know we always see a kind of typical Borough and, you know, typical Borough tend to lose the games that they should win. Um, but those four games, if you're still in with a chance in the playoffs, 
there four games where you're looking at them and thinking that should be 12 points to at the very least put the pressure on. I mean, I'll just quickly get it up now if you want. Um, those those last four games are all winnable games for Middlesbrough. Do you um, want them, Craig? I've got them here. I've got well, them. You're more prepared than me. So, yeah, so it's um, Rotherham away, Sheffield Wednesday at home, Luton away, and then Wickham at home. I mean, you couldn't, even the fifth, going back five, you know, QPR at home before Rotherham, you're looking at those games and you think, thinking, if Middlesbrough have still got a chance, you know, that's a great opportunity for them in them final games. Um, and, you know, Barnsley has shown that, you know, who two or three weeks ago would have expected Barnsley to be where they are. I can't remember talking about Barnsley a few weeks ago. Uh, and then all of a sudden they're just there, you know, four or five, six wins, however many it's been, and and they flew. And you know, Cardiff were the same when Mick McCarthy came in. Um, they just shot right up the table. So you would probably argue that they've done it at the better time. Um, you know, doing it a little bit earlier than the very last minute, but it just shows you what you know a run of games can do uh, and how far you can go. The trouble is, you know, Middlesbrough just haven't looked capable of putting together that long run of wins for a long time now. And, uh, you know, because we can all see the kind of deficiencies that they have in the squad as, as hard work and, and, and as much spirit as they do have, there is the obvious, um, you know, kind of deficiencies within that squad that probably will just mean the left shot in the end. I, I was expecting, uh, especially when Borough won there, I was expecting Reading to, to drop out. But then I have been all season, really, since they won the first five or whatever it was. Um, well, they've kicked on again, haven't they? Uh, and just, uh, just on that, sorry, just to quickly cut in though, just on Redden and the fact that you thought they would drop off. I think pre season, I'm pretty sure I tipped them for relegation, so that just shows you what I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know whether I did the predictions pre season. I, uh, I think I had Barnsley to finish in the top six, so we'll see if I was right there. I'll have to dig them, dig them out again. Um, now, of course, I didn't, I wouldn't have had them anywhere near it, but. I mean, I thought I fancied Norwich, and I still fancy Norwich to win it. I think they've been, uh, they've looked excellent, rock solid. Still think Brentford might sneak in second. I mean, what what understandably irks Warnock is that Borough haven't been. I mean, obviously they've had their off days, but they've shown they can match absolutely anyone in the league, as you say, Craig. It's this consistency and um, kind of not knowing what to expect week in week out. I mean, kind of what. You know, you look. You only have to look at last year and the way Forest absolutely crumbled and Swansea snuck in in the most um, unpredictable of circumstances. Weird things do happen in the final few weeks of the season, but Borough first need to get themselves within touching distance, and and they haven't done that. I'm sorry, they were there, especially after that win at Reading, but slipped away again. Now it's one of them, isn't it? Where I came away from Swansea thinking that's probably that, and then. As is often the case, being a football fan, even if Barnsley win tonight, you look and think, well, let's just have a look how the table looks if Borough win those successive home games. And um, as you were saying, I think it's I think it's too early to completely write off Borough's hopes, but it is going to take it is going to take something pretty spectacular. Now, what I do think is um, whoever doesn't win, whether it's a draw or whoever gets beat on Saturday, is is definitely out of it. It's it's probably absolute last chance for Borough and Stoke at the weekend, isn't it? You're on mute there, mate. For first teething issues of the day, 37 there minutes. We. I'm back, I'm back. Glad you know us. I was just testing you out. Yes, big game against Stoke coming up and we'll get to that in a moment but it's time to introduce our first special guest of the rebranded Tribe Supper and it's a pleasure to see we've got Malcolm Christie on. Um, he spoke with Dom about various things, so here's a short snippet ahead of a feature-length interview out on our website uh, on Sunday. The relaunch of the Tribe Supper, and we're lucky enough to have our first guest, Malcolm Christie. Malcolm, we've had a long chat looking back on your career, the, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, and there's going to be a feature, uh, a long feature, discussing looking back on your career and where you are now on Teesside Live this week and, and in the paper early next week. Um for the pod, I, I want to I want to talk to you about the the Brighton goal, the goal that set Borough on their way really to Carling Cup success, and you know an incredible few years. What I, I know, you know, having spoken to you previously, that your time at Borough didn't go to plan. But what do you remember about that goal? Well, I remember it just being obviously it was a start of um, 
it was the start of the season for us. So obviously we had the the early cup games and um, we were doing we were doing okay in the league. And um, I didn't actually start that game. In all fairness, I uh, I came off the bench towards the end of the of the, of the match. Obviously it went into uh, it went into extra time. Um, and then you know you're coming towards the end and you think, oh, is it going to be you know is it going to go to to a penalty shootout? And you know I I just remember um, obviously Jonathan Greening I think at the time got. Uh, got the ball down the left-hand side and put the ball across. And um, synonymous with quite a lot of my uh, my goals that I'd scored throughout my career, um, a few for a few for Middlesbrough, um, quite a few more for Derby, where I would sort of make that near post run in front of the uh, in front of the defender. Um, and I think it was just about improvisation, really. When I got to the when I got to the ball, uh, it was just a little bit behind me, um, and I just managed to uh, instinctively just uh, do what I, I could do best is is get some form of contact on it and hope that it goes past the goalie. Um, I suppose when I look back, I think that, that looked like a, um, a bit of a smart finish, in all fairness, the way that it, it flicked off uh, off the bottom of my, my foot. But um, like I say, I, I practised them in training where we do the crossing and finishing sessions and, and things like that. So um, at the time, you don't know really what the uh, enormity of the, the, the goal would hold uh, in Middlesbrough's history. Um, of course, you know, you, you just think that that's the, a first-round goal um, against a lower league team, and you, you maybe think nothing more of it, but but you know, yes, Borough fans do still connect with me even to this day. You know, fast forward a number of years, and and it's one of the what I would say one of the only highlights. Um, it, it probably is in all fairness, but it, it's nice to be um, part of a little bit of history because you know, had that not have happened, you just don't know. Could they have got knocked out? Would it have been a different uh, a different cup run? Um, so it, it was it was nice to play that little bit of a part of it because at the end of the day, as, as you allude to there, Dom, that, that you know I wasn't fit and available. Unfortunately, um, that's been which missed start of my injuries uh, came at straight after that. So um, you know it, it was it was difficult in a way to to be a to be a supporter as such um, to to see the, the club lift the uh, the trophy in that way. Uh, but nonetheless, it's nice and and, and I feel honoured to be a, a small part of a, a little bit of history um, that Middlesbrough fans look at so fondly. Great to have Malcolm on the podcast as our first special guest. And you can hear more of that interview, a feature-length interview, on Saturday evening. That's when we'll put it up. If you subscribe to the podcast from wherever you're getting it from, it'll drop straight onto the app. You'll get a notification and you'll have it right there and then. And hopefully it follows on from a win against Stoke. And that leads us nicely into the final part of today's episode. And it is that game against Stoke. On the back of then that Swansea defeat, where... On the scale, do you rank this as as maybe a must win, especially given, like you both have mentioned, Barnsley win tonight and the points gap between the playoffs and Borough could be could be ten points even before a game's a ball is kicked. Yeah, I think Dom's assessment um, earlier there was was absolutely spot on. I think um, you know a draw is no good for either side, and I think um, the team who doesn't win on on Saturday. Is probably going to be then, you know, too far, too far out. Then I can't see um, whoever loses if someone loses on Saturday. I can't see them being able to make up the uh, make up the gap from there. So I think it, it becomes a must-win game. But equally, I think certainly from Middlesbrough's point of view, and I think we saw this at Swansea, they've almost now taken a we've got nothing to lose approach now, and I think it's the right way to go. I think even you know, even at Swansea, if you look at the play just before Swansea got their penalty, it come from Borough actually trying to attack themselves. You know, it was 1-1. Uh, they just got their equaliser, which, you know, was the least they deserved. They could have just held out there and, you know, they've shown plenty of times this season when they've needed to that they've got good enough game management to kind of see a game out, whether it be a victory or a point. Um, they've done that plenty of times this season, but actually... You know, with with Burra in the in the way that they are now, in the situation they are now, it's almost a, as I say, nothing to lose. So you know, Mendes Lang took the ball forward, and I can't remember who it was who kind of made the little run through, and Mendes Lang tried to pick the pass, and and it was just intercepted, and from there Swansea went forward, and and that's when Swansea won the penalty. And you talked about that was ninety fifth minute of the game, as I say. I mean, Burra had. had you know, fought and fought and fought to get back into that game and finally got the late equaliser. It would have been so easy for them to just hold on to that point, but they didn't. They went for three, and that's almost credit to them because, uh, you know, I think even that was um, 
was indicative of the fact that even against Swansea, a point probably isn't good enough now. Middlesbrough needs three points as, as often as they possibly can. And I think, you know, you go into the Stoke game with the exact same mentality. Stoke beat Wickham, um, you know, last Saturday. So they come into the game off the back of a win, but they haven't been in great form of late. Uh, have Stoke and uh, you know Borough have got players now the likes of Yannick Balassi the likes of Mendes Lang uh, Cabano really good attacking players who can hurt teams and who teams will fear you know if you get them on the ball and have them running at teams or have them running in behind teams defensive teams are gonna you know gonna be worried and concerned about that so you've almost just got to give them freedom to go out and express themselves and, and just hope that it works on the day yeah, I think that's it. I think I think um, in the last four games now, I'm sure it is, Bristol City, Cardiff, Coventry and at, um, Swansea, Borough have scored in the last 10 minutes now. I know the Bristol City one, you're 3-0 down and the game's gone. But um, I think as you're saying, Craig, that's testament to the, to the character and pro- probably the fitness as well, uh, probably the conditioning of the squad and the fact that at this stage of the season, in what has been for long stages, a small squad, I know Warnock's got more options now, um, but I think that's testament to the to the condition the players are in, uh, in that they're possibly coming on stronger in games. I don't know. That's maybe one for Warnock at some point. Um, but uh, I think that shows us that the Borough aren't going to go down without a fight. And, um, and I know you know there has been subtle kind of moves to the summer from Warnock in his focus in his press conferences. Uh, you know, kind of looking ahead. But equally. Um, you're a couple of wins away from thinking, well, hold on, this 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 might still be alive. And as Warnock said last week, you can't be you can't be picky and choosy about when you're going to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to what Greg says there, it's absolute must win on Saturday uh, if you just stand any chance for both teams. As I say, it's a big game for both teams. And I think when Borough played at Stoke, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't know where they were in the league. I think Stoke were in the top six then, or certainly close. I, I don't think either side will have expected to be in the position they're in now at this stage of the season. Warnock made no secret of the fact that he was saying he thinks his Borough side are going to come strong in the second half of the year. I think I think the way that the last couple of months has gone has taken taken him aback, really. I think this is the opposite of what he was expecting. And Stoke, Michael O'Neill Stoke looked consistent and solid, and you fancied them to stick around. I didn't. I didn't think they'd do what I thought Reading would do, but they've probably done the direct opposite. Um, so, yeah, don't think it'll be a classic. Um, I'm just looking forward to see the pigsties outside the ground for when Stoke, when Stoke pulled, Craig. Yeah, that was one of the uh, more unexpected um, deflection tactics from Warnock that day. I mean, looking back at that uh, early December match, it's it's one that I'd rather forget. Um, of course, uh, people might remember that was the one where... Um, just after that, I got a bit of a rollicking off uh, off Warnock for me match report. He wasn't too uh, oh, yeah. happy with me match report, and uh, and to make matters worse, I found out a couple of weeks ago that um, that I got caught speeding on the way to Stoke as well. So I've got three points coming. Oh, on really? The you kept that one. You kept that yeah. one. Yeah, so um, not a not a good day for me uh, that one. So the less said about the last game against Stoke, the better, I think. Well, I think on on that theme, seeing as though it's Preston next Tuesday, I think it was coming back from Preston in in December also that I got caught speeding. So they must have seen us coming from a mile away in December last year. I hope the boss yeah. around like I was going to say, goodness me, it's it's confession time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not big and it's not clever. Stick to the, stick to the just, just quickly on, on the Stoke thing. Uh, I was talking to Peter Smith, who covers Stoke for uh, the Sentinel, um, and he sent me over a few questions ahead of the game. And the first question was, what's the situation with away teams at the Riverside portable cabin, shed or changing room? The away teams are in. What 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 is the press lounge? Um and what is the mix? What is normally the mix zone is where the uh, press conferences are being done at the minute, which backs on the press, which backs on the away dressing room. Now, if you're still with me, I probably didn't explain that as well as I could have done. So when you go down to speak to the managers afterwards, basically there's a door at the back of the room which leads through to the dressing room, and you you can't. I mean, the managers have done their thing by then, but you can hear the music playing, and my God, there's been some eclectic tunes being blared out from dressing. I think it was Birmingham. Um, and I spoke to George Friend afterwards and I said, who on earth is in charge of your playlist? I can't remember who he said it was or what songs were on. I tweeted it at the time. But, um, yeah, God, it, it, it's, it's not what I'd have on a Friday night getting ready to go out. 
Well, this is not uh, Craig in charge. That's no, yeah, that would, that would not be good. We'd have James Blunt all the way through. <laughs> but, Do you know what? I had a little bet with myself how quick I'd, I'd managed to get James Blunt into the podcast. And 45 <laughs> minutes in or so, it's it's taken a while, but we got there, Dom. We got there. No, there was a, there was a good story there as well from uh, carrying on from what Dom just said with uh, Bristol City when Bristol City were there recently. And, of course, they got a, a big win that night with uh, new manager Nigel Pearson uh, watching on. And there is that kind of door at the back of what is now the, the press conference room which used to be the mix zone and uh you could hear them all you know they were all there uh, larry and everything in the in what is there now uh, dressing room because they've just got a big win and uh we're kind of sitting there waiting for the managers to come in and you can hear them all bouncing around and having you know the banter and everything and then all of a sudden the kind of door come crashing through and, and one of the bristol city players come through the door uh obviously being like shoved through it or something like that and you could see he was like Oh, uh, sorry, guys, and like quickly shut the door dead sheepishly. It was brilliant. <laughs> I can't imagine Warnock would have taken that too kindly after a defeat. Yeah, no, luckily, yeah, uh, luckily Warnock hadn't started his press conference yet. He wasn't there yet. I can't imagine that had gone down too well. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to finish off, then, lads, because we are drawing to a close, score predictions. We've said it's important that Millsborough beat Stoke this weekend, three o'clock kickoff. Craig? What's the score going to be? Uh, well, I hate doing score predictions. I'm terrible at score predictions. But I uh, have to be positive. It's a must-win game. Uh, Stoke in patchy form. So I think I'll go 2-0 to Borough and Yannick Balassi to get at least one of those two goals. Yeah, I was going to go 2-0 as well. Um, I'll Sorry, stick with it. I'll, I'll, No, sound, I'll stick with it. We, we can both be right. <laughs> Well, there we have it. It's the first episode of Tribe Super. If you guys have enjoyed it, please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast from wherever you're listening from. And also share it amongst your Middlesbrough supporting friends and family. Guys, we've made it to the end. And uh, we look forward to next week, hopefully, with Middlesbrough uh, three points on the board. Fingers crossed. And, and I do promise I am working on my Queen's English for future episodes. I promise that. Brilliant. Thanks very much, fellas. Enjoyed that.